Hi, I'm Sarah Jenner. And I'm Mary Ann Baton, and you're listening to Conversations with Impact. Every month, we chat with a new expert speaker about different workplace challenges and how to overcome them. The purpose of these conversations is to share insights and solutions to challenging topics. And have a positive impact on our guests who attend. We also highlight a charity that's doing incredible work. Thanks for being here, and let's get started. excited to be joined by Lauren Bernardi today. She is a lawyer and HR advisor with Bernardi HR Human, sorry, Bernardi Human Resource Law. And Lauren works extensively in the field of workplace mental health, psychologically safe workplaces, harassment and violence, including conducting manager and employee training sessions, preparing harassment and code of conduct policies, and investigating and resolving complaints. Today, we have enlisted um, Lauren to answer all of our questions about returning to the work environment and the challenges that can come with that. I mean, originally, this conversation would have been about having someone um, requiring an accommodation returning to the work environment, and now we're having this conversation around how do we all return to the work environment in a safe way, ensuring that everyone feels physically, emotionally, psychologically safe in doing so. So Lauren will be joining us in just a minute. And there's Lauren. She's joined us. How are you doing? Well, better now that I managed to get in. We had some technical difficulties, but we're all here. <laughs> we're here. Yeah, as, as I think so many of us have come to um, get used to with the pandemic with many of us working virtually. So Lauren, we have already introduced you. We have let people know that you are a lawyer and human resource advisor with Lauren Bernardi HR Laws. And personally, I would just love to dig right into some of those questions right off the bat. So I think Marianne, you had one that you really wanted to ask. Yeah, I just wanted to share though, one of the first times that I talked to Lauren mm -hmm. about uh, litigation and what she said is, well, we don't wanna just jump to litigation. We actually wanna help people solve these problems in the mm -hmm. workplace. And I thought, that's the attitude that I want. Somebody who, you know, a lawyer who really wants to make the world a better place. And so it's been a pleasure always to work with Lauren. So the first question that I want to ask on behalf of employers everywhere is, can they make vaccines mandatory for all employees? That's been the burning question of the last <laughs> couple of months. Um, certainly, it's a question we're getting a lot. You see a lot of it written um, in the news that people are talking about. And the short answer is yes, you can. Um, in fact, that's what we've done with our own firm. The caveat is this. We always have to respect human rights issues. And so if somebody has a human rights related need, for example, they have a medical condition or a religious need that would prevent them from getting the vaccine, then you would need to accommodate that, which means no vaccine, but then perhaps there are other restrictions or um, accommodations you would put in place like masking and, and social distancing for those that can't be protected with the vaccine. But the short answer is you can make it mandatory. So with that masking for the people who can't vaccinate be that they have to vaccinate or that everybody has to, vac uh, sorry, mask. Wear masks. That they have to wear I think you could look at that a few ways. It may be that uh, you have to engage in better social distancing. One of the things that accommodation can look like is um, adjusting their hours. 
So if uh, we created a, um, a vaccine policy, just a general one, not just because of COVID, because there could be another, heaven forbid, uh, pandemic come up again, where we have to deal with these uh, vaccine issues. But accommodation may mean working different hours. So it could be if you've got a nine to five, say office type situation, it may be the person that um, can't get vaccinated needs to work a flexed shift. So they're working in the evenings or on weekends. So you're minimizing contact with people. It can be um, asking them to wear uh, personal pr protective equipment, possibly other people near them if you can't keep them um, separate. Mm. And I think one of the other things um, in answering that question or addressing the issue is this notion of privacy. So part of what people ask about a lot is, well, you know, what about privacy? Like I have the right to privacy around my medical information and you can't ask whether or not I've been vaccinated. And these things never occur in a vacuum. Our rights, none of our rights occur in a vacuum. Our rights intersect with other people's rights. And sometimes there's a balancing. And under the Human Rights Code in Ontario, one of the balancing factors is health and safety. So if we say I have a need here under the code, maybe it's disability related or medical related, and everybody else has a need that's related to health and safety, how do we dovetail those in a way that provides optimum protection or as much protection as possible to both sides? So we can ask for that information, but then we need to manage it appropriately. To stay on that topic of employee rights, I know some questions that came to mind for me is, you know, what are my rights as an employee if I, for example, wanted to go on vacation and I decided my destination was going to be out of the country of Canada, do I need to notify my employer of that? Do they have to be made aware that I'm leaving the country and then coming back in? Because I feel like with quarantine and all of these things coming up and with employees too, um, a second question I have is, I think, like the right to refuse unsafe work, that if I feel like I'm not in a safe situation, if maybe my colleague who's next to me is showing symptoms of COVID, but like symptoms of COVID, symptoms that could be allergies, symptoms that could be a cold, do I have a right to say, I don't feel safe working with them until we can be reassured that they've been tested and they are tested, coming back as negative? What are my kind of like employee rights that I need to be made aware of? Okay, so I'm gonna start with the second one because I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> the first one. So the second one is around the unsafe work issue. Now, mm -hmm. unsafe work has come up already during the pandemic in a different way. And that was around um, employees saying, can I refuse to come into the workplace out of fear of getting COVID? And what the Ministry of Labor said repeatedly is as long as the employer was doing the right things, like ensuring social distancing, ventilation, masks, all the typical things, then there is no unsafe work. If you were being jammed in um, cheek to jowl with no personal protective equipment, then I think that would be a different issue. But the ones that they went and visited, um, they said it was all fine. So that's, so we've got some idea of where we're gonna land in terms of unsafe work. Did yeah, you have so feeling unsafe, Lauren, is mm -hmm. not enough. Feeling unsafe. Right. when all the protocols are in place is not enough to be able to refuse work. That's correct. So we're looking at what is actually unsafe from a health and safety standpoint. So that's the lens that would be used. So back to what if I'm working with somebody who's not vaccinated, can I say that's unsafe work? Can I refuse it? Well, if we analogize to the previous cases, 
I think the answer would be, are other measures being put in place? And if it wasn't considered unsafe before when none of us were vaccinated, as long as we had personal protective equipment, then probably it won't be. Now, who knows if a new variant comes up that is very different than the current one, including the Delta one, we could see a different scenario. But as it stands right now, I don't think as long as those protections are in place, that would be unsafe work. Now you need to remind me of what the first question was. <laughs> Sorry, I have another question to lead off of what you just said. So as okay. an employee, if I'm showing um, symptoms that have been, um, I guess, tied to potentially having COVID, can my employer come to me and require me to get a COVID test and not be able to return to the work environment until I can prove that that test is negative? I think there is an argument for that. And um, there has, Ontario released a bunch of rapid test kits that employers can access for free. And I think that's probably the easiest answer is to just use the, the rapid test kits. Um, and then if there is a concern, just making sure you have those extra precautions in place. But I think there is an argument that if they are showing signs, that's when you could do the testing. And what if an employee refused the test? Well, then I think you're back to refusing a reasonable measure that the employer has put in place. They may need to be sent home. You may need to put in place other measures for how they do their work. If they were already working from home, maybe they go back to working from home. Maybe that was their motive in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. But there are measures that you can take that would that would be based on what it is they're refusing to do and what their current job is. Okay. Um, sorry to take you back to my initial question <laughs> that came with oodles of other questions. If I, as an employee, am going on vacation and leaving the country, do I have a responsibility or a requirement to let my employer know? I think if you're going on vacation, most people are knowing you're going on vacation and there may be a question of that. I'm not sure that there is a, um, a requirement to let your employer know where you're going. Uh, I think that other pieces that ask the screening tests and the testing if there's any symptoms would be the things that are the stopgap for that. So mm -hmm. I get to go where I want to go when I'm on my own time, but then when I'm coming into work, that may mean I have to go through the screening protocol. And if there's any symptoms, that's when I would have to um, get tested, unless I've already been tested possibly as part of a, um, an entry into the province or country mm -hmm. by the government. How important is it for an employer to have a policy around this before people start to return to the workplace if they've been away or even just going forward? How important is a policy versus a bunch of rules? I'm a big fan of policies <laughs> because policies set the expectation for what for them. People know they can go on, they can understand what's expected of them. You're not making decisions on the fly. And when you make decisions on the fly, you're usually making decisions based on the one particular incident instead of the big picture. What do we want this to look like? How do we want to be a fair employer? How do we want to be a respectful employer? How do we want to ensure health and safety, including psychological health and safety. And when you approach it from a policy perspective, you have time. You have time to look at what other people are doing and to think, think it through. Um, and I would also suggest that when hiring new people, it might even be something to consider including in an offer letter that sets out the expectation and perhaps you're attaching the policy that there will be an expectation that you are fully vaccinated. And if you are not, you have to provide an accommodation request. 
Um, I know before we had talked about organizations and employers who were actually promoting the fact that all of their staff were vaccinated. What do you think of this? Are there some, what are the pros? What are the cons to that? Well, I, so again, we come back to this notion of balancing rights. Mm -hmm. So I'm not convinced that getting a vaccine is medical information in the truest sense of the word when we talk about privacy rights. Mm -hmm. um, but to err on the side of caution, I'm not sure advertising about being fully vaccinated, advertising that all of your staff are, is necessarily the right approach. I would use something a little more conservative, which is, let's say you're um, a massage therapy place. And somebody like me, because this is what I actually did, I write and I say, look, I want to use somebody who's vaccinated. That might be different because they don't, they don't necessarily need to say we're 100% vaccinated unless all the massage therapists are prepared to have you release that, but they could just give me the vaccinated person. So you could, you know, don't give any more information than you need to, but if you need to give that information for health and safety reasons, then I think you could. Does that answer that one? Yeah, and I also was just thinking, I booked a massage for tomorrow and I hadn't even considered asking that the person giving it was vaccinated. <laughs> so maybe well, that's when I asked that question, there was a clinic that I had been going to quite regularly and I asked mm -hmm. that question and they said, we can't tell you because it's mm -hmm. private information. And the lawyer and me said, well, there are workarounds. You know, you could ask who is prepared to volunteer that information and just give me that person. Mm -hmm. um, or you can simply ask if people are prepared to give consent. So I'm not going there. I'm going to yeah. <laughs> I just want that security. Yeah. You know, uh, Sarah and I wrote the back to work checklist for mindful leaders, uh, actually earlier in 2020, when we thought we were going to go back to work <laughs> and in it, we said to employers before you start that to ask your employees, what are your biggest concerns and challenges so that you can really respond to what they want rather than just saying, here's our policy or here's what we're doing. <laughs> let them voice their concerns and then show them how you're going to respond and then go a step further to say, is there anything else? Mm -hmm. And that whole idea is there, people are going to be anxious. They're going to be uncertain. And it's like you said, rather than making decisions on the fly to try to reduce that anxiety and say, we are doing what's necessary to protect you. And we are responding to your concerns, but given, all of that, Lauren, it still could be that there are arguments, there's hostility, there's panic in the workplace between people who are vaccinated, people who are not, people who are very careful in terms of boundaries and protective equipment and people who are not. What is um, your advice to employers to try to minimize or prevent this up front. So one of the drivers of harassment and conflict in the workplace is social discord. We've seen lots of social discord in the last couple of years on a lot of things. COVID, masking, vaccines, all of that has created a lot of tension and polarity, some name and shame, you know, kind of finger pointing. And I think we have to be careful not to let that boil over into the workplace. So providing people with tools for having the conversations, how do we talk about whether or not somebody's vaccinated? 
Um, how do we not engage in conflict with someone? And I think even, I'm gonna flip it back to you, Marianne, because I think sometimes we have people with uh, mental health issues and how do we help them? So if we're just saying, you know, you're terrible if you don't get vaccinated, we're going to create further anxiety on people. But what do you think from a, a mental health perspective? I'm curious about your thoughts. Well, we were, we were talking about people that it's not a medical issue per se, but they're terrified of the potential risk of harm from a vaccine. And I said, how is that fear different than being afraid of getting COVID? They're both fears of the health implications of the decision you make. And so mental health or no mental health issue, I think we need to not be polarized, polarized, but we need to make decisions to reduce our own anxiety and to be able to integrate into a workplace in a way that's safe. But for people who do have a mental illness, which might include fear or anxiety or paranoia, and you add this layer on top of it in the workplace, it certainly can impact their ability to work. Um, on the workplace strategy site, we have a section called helping employees with change. And it's really saying that you need to understand where that person's at rather than trying to convince them they're wrong. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, you got nothing to worry about, it's really safe, this is gonna be good to say, tell me all your fears and concerns and let's talk about what could we do to alleviate them and how could we accommodate you so that you can work? Do you need a separate working place? Do you need to have personal protective equipment? Do you need something else? And to make it a conversation. And as you pointed out, there is a duty to accommodate. And if this person has a mental illness, then accommodating the, um, uh, reaction is part of our duty, but only to the point that allows them to do their job, mm -hmm. not to the point that it allows them to evade their job or not complete it. And so I, I have to just come back and agree with you. It's a balance. We have a, a responsibility as employers to accommodate employees and they have a responsibility as employees to do their job. And so we balance those two things out. And it is um, not uncommon for employers to think accommodation is about someone not having to do their job. And that's not what it's intended to be. Absolutely. I think how we structure it so that they can live up to their fullest potential at work. Sorry, Sarah, I think I cut you off. No, that's okay. I think during this time too, like it wouldn't hurt to go back to having honest conversations around the fact that you know what there could be people like there could be individuals within our team who have um, made choices or who have opinions that don't necessarily um, complement what others do and recognizing that you know what this could be a trigger for you and when we are triggered we often go into that like flight fight on freeze response and that could cause you to react in a negative way in that moment but let's really focus on how we want to respond how like what are the grounding techniques that work for you how are ways that we can respectfully 
respond in that moment, even if it's to say, I don't think I can give a response right now. Can we continue this conversation another time? Or giving people the tools they need, that conflict resolution, so that they can continue to work together. And I think it's so important, like you had said earlier, to really give people the opportunity to voice their fears, voice their concerns, and then engage them in a conversation about like, what do you need in order to feel safe here? And because like we use that strategy all the time with workplace mental health and other issues. And I think it absolutely applies here that people just want to know that they can be heard and that you actually, I almost swore, actually care about their feelings, that you care about them as a human. I think that can go such a long way in conversations like this. Yes, it's critical. And I think even acknowledging, even if you don't necessarily believe it, but just saying it's complicated because it is complicated. It's complicated by misinformation that's out there that causes people to feel insecure. It is complicated because the virus keeps changing, which means advice keeps changing. And so then people, I think, sometimes are worried, well, am I getting bad advice? As the, are they now going to tell me that I did the wrong thing? That, you know, all of the, we were told to not wear masks and we're told to wear masks. And so each of these things adds a layer of insecurity to people. So if we just acknowledge it's complicated, it's been hard, it's been a lot of change, that can help get people to the other side as well. Early on in the pandemic, I read about an organization that bought three of, you know, those plastic wristbands, yep. um, three different groups. One was red, yellow, and green. And what it meant, if you had the red bracelet on, and everybody was given all three, because you can change your mind from day to day. So if you have the red bracelet on, it means I'm not comfortable with you coming within six feet of me. I want people to have their PPE on, their mask on, and I'd rather be left on my own. The yellow means I'm okay, but please don't breathe on me. You know, like don't uh, come if you've got a cold or a cough, don't come near me. And then the green is, you know, give me a hug. No, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm fine. I, I don't have um, any concerns at all. And people were able to put on the, the bracelet that they felt that day. And it was a way to not have to um, speak what it is and yet have people respect this is how you're feeling today. I, I love that they let it them change it from day to day. Cause I was thinking like, Ooh, how would I commit to one color? But then you saying it changes from day to day yeah. is that sense of um, autonomy. And well, and the red can also be, I've got the sniffles mm -hmm. and I don't want to think that I could give something to someone. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to stay away. Yeah. So it, it can mean a lot of different things mm -hmm. or I'm, now responsible for taking care of an ailing parent right. or a dependent of some kind, then I have to be more protective of myself and them as well. That's yeah, and it's, as long as it's not stigmatizing, it's actually empowering because right. it lets people land where they are. I probably have the yellow one all the time, like don't breathe on me and don't come too close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure that'll ever change, but I think that's a, that's a, a cool way of trying to engage the conversation. As long as we're really talking about, let's not judge each other, let's stop judging each other. You know, mm -hmm. we may want to help people get to um, the point where they feel comfortable being vaccinated because we 
recognize it's a health and safety issue, but by finger pointing and getting upset with people, we're just going to drive us further apart. And that's going to that's going to layer into our mental health. It's going to layer into our our physical health and safety as well. So if we can stop making it this polarized issue, we may we may get there faster. It's I would say this has been such a learning experience for me of having to step back and coming from that place of curiosity instead. And it came very late in the COVID game for me where I was watching someone like an influencer on Instagram who was sharing how she was going to go for her second vaccine and she was feeling incredibly nervous. And then she shared her story of, I understand the statistics. I understand this is important. I understand this protects me and others, but I came from an anti-vax family. And growing up with those thoughts has greatly impacted how I feel about medicine, how I feel about vaccines. And while I have every intention of getting the vaccine, I'm still nervous and scared about it. I still have hesitations and people coming at me with the logical retorts or statements. We talked about this earlier, coming at someone with logic all day long isn't necessarily going to give them that aha moment of like, oh, now I get it. Now I'm perfectly fine because most of the time we know all the logic, like we are aware of the stats and it's really is just allowing people that space to kind of figure out what they need to do for themselves to make themselves feel safe in that moment. I love the term. I think Adam Grant was who I heard it from and it's called the logic bully. Mm. And it's where you're trying to deal with somebody's fear, their anxiety, their discomfort by throwing logic at them. And you're not dealing with the underlying issue. You're just being a logic bully. And I think I've done that before. <laughs> and, well, I when I, I have. <laughs> and, and when you hear it that way, you think, yeah, that's, but we think, you just don't get it. And if you got it, your fears would dissipate, but it's not true. It's that the fears are based on childhood mm -hmm. impressions that are embedded in this person. Mm -hmm. And even though they looked at the logic, the fear's not gone. Yeah. They use this term sense-making and it's the idea that as we um, develop, as we grow, we kind of build that idea of our version of common sense based off of our experiences. And so for them, it was just common sense to hesitate, to question. Um, whereas for me, like I grew up in a family where like we got all our vaccinations, we got our boosters, we got the flu shot and it was so normalized and there was zero hesitation from my parents so that when this came out, I, I had the luxury of not having any fears. I was just like, and maybe that's uh, naive of me, but it was just like, okay, well, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. And it was so easy for me where I really have found now after learning this, that importance of um, empathizing of it's complicated mm -hmm. and of trying to move through it with curiosity rather than uh, assumptions or criticism. Well, and it's not even just maybe your family upbringing, they're kind of connected, but it's also about your cultural upbringing. So mm -hmm. you grew up in a country where you had zero trust for the government because it was corrupt government, zero trust for your healthcare providers. There are ethnic groups that have been experimented on um, in terms of, of medical 
testing and things like that. And so it's easy to say, well, we should do this because this is our worldview. And it's like you say that sense making, well, that's because this has been my upbringing and it's part of me. But if we're thinking human rights, we also have to think about different um, ethnic groups and how um, and how connected they are and how much uh, trust they have in institutions. So that can be a factor too. The reality is the reasons why people aren't getting vaccinated are diverse. There isn't one set of, of reasons. You know, some of it is laziness. There might have been one person in my family who was a young person who was happy to get vaccinated but wasn't going to work too hard at going out and getting it done. But as soon as it was you can walk in, he was fine to get it done. So thinking about what all the what those various reasons are, not automatically assuming it's because somebody doesn't understand the logic, but there can be many, many reasons. And so those exploratory conversations can help. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've been saying is I'm just going to live my life as if it's flu season. And I was reading that a chef said that this pandemic has put protocols in place in restaurants that should always have been there mm -hmm. because we've always had communicable diseases that can be passed on and yet our hygiene the way that we deal with things have not been ideal <laughs> and so it, you know it's the same thing in the workplace and at wherever we're working that sure we should protect ourselves and our loved ones but it doesn't mean that we can't work in a collegial way, that we can't um, make room for people with all sorts of uh, decisions and approaches. But it's, it's going to be interesting going forward. And the personal protocols that have come from it as well. Like I think about going to Jay's games with friends and it's like, you walk in there, you get to your seats, then you go grab food and you're like eating fries or popcorn or a hot dog with hands that have not been sanitized since like coming, entering that space. And it, I, it's going to be so interesting to see what people take away from this and how it continues to evolve. And I've spoken to a few people who have said that um, they're predicting afterwards almost like a wave of grief that will come over each of us when we're reflecting back on this and how that's likely going to have an effect in the workplace too where we're now taking in all the things that have happened all the things that we've done and how how we're going to move forward with that too all the aspects of it i cried when i got my second dose and it wasn't because of the needle it was just <laughs> It was just this, you know, I just welled up and felt so emotional. And it was like this feeling of relief. And I thought I'd done okay up mm -hmm. to that point. I didn't, I don't think I was fully conscious of how anxious I had been. I should have been because I got one of those thermometers where you take people's temperature in the forehead, partly because it was fun. But every time we sat down at dinner, it's like, okay, I'm taking your temperatures. It probably wasn't. Uh, wasn't. But I think just that, that whole, you know, we don't, I think in many respects don't, don't appreciate how much we've been carrying around. Um, sometimes it's been obvious, sometimes we've been down or stressed, but that full burden isn't there. I'm wondering if either of you have thoughts on even just helping people acclimatize to being at work. So you talk about going to a Jays game, but for many people, they haven't been in the workplace for a very long time. Some have, but some haven't. And how are we going to help people come back together again. I was just thinking, I was pausing because Boston Pizza did a how to patio. I don't know if you saw this video series. It's like, it's been a while since we've been in a patio. So here's a series of what you do 
when you're on a patio. It's it's a cute concept, but um, what do we do to come back to work? Yeah, I think there's so much that we need to think about as employers, but as individuals as well. That when was the last time you had a morning routine? And if you have children, if you have a family that you have to get ready, that you should start now because we don't know when all the employers are going to ask people to come back to work, but they're thinking about it now. And so you as an individual should start to think about if I had to get up, get dressed, get everybody out the door and get to work, what would that be like? So I think starting a morning routine is going to be important to our adjustment. I also think that we should expect to be overwhelmed and exhausted for the first couple of weeks that we shouldn't see that as you're not coping or you're not, you know, getting there, that it is going to be normal for us to do that. And from an employer perspective, I think they should consider graduated returns from two different angles. One is not to have everybody come back on the same day, but to have just a smaller number of people coming back at different days so that there's not that big crowd effect. But also when we look at people who've been off work for any kind of injury, illness, or disability, if they've been off work for three months or more, and yes, I know we're working from home, but if you've been away from the workplace, for three months or more, the advice is to have a graduated return to work. Well, now we've got, in some cases, every employee has been off for almost two years. So we need to really think about retraining, reintegrating, reorienting, um, and, and really bringing teams together for the first time live is a whole new experience. So and you, yeah, will have, you, know, <laughs> you will have people as we do here who have never met in person mm. because right. people got at it during the pandemic and there are people that have never met in person. We have done a bit of a graduated return here. And, you know, just as we started with having this many people here, which kept us about 20 to 25%. Now we're at two days a week. We're going to three days a week. We're having an outdoor gathering on, Thursday, we last June, we did a six feet a party where we sat in the backyard of our building. So I had a stick, six feet, so I could measure, make sure everybody stayed apart. But it was an opportunity to just come together and, and see each other. So I think that, I think anything we can do to help bridge that gap will be helpful because it is a transition. Just wearing fancy shoes can be a transition. Well, yeah. and, and like you say, those people who have never met in person, that's a whole nother level of reintegration, mm -hmm. right? The rest of us are coming back to people that we are used to working with, but those that were onboarded during the pandemic, we need to think about what we're gonna do for them. Uh, I was just gonna say, we had a question come in and it's from an individual who has worked, um, she's human resources at a farm market that has been open throughout the entire pandemic. Their staff are weary from being on the front line for so long. Do you have any suggestions of how we re-enter when we've been left, when we've never left, but uh, we mark changes in some way that brings hope? I, I mean, this might be too simplistic, but I think also bringing your team together to think about like what are some 
what's something that you have appreciated about our team throughout all of this? What's something that your team members have done to support you through all this? What are you most looking forward to with these? I don't want to say new normal because it's so cliche, but with these like new normals that are happening, those are just a few things I would recommend. What would you? Well, I have to agree that we need to celebrate and recognize the effort mm -hmm. that the employees have made for that entire time. Yeah. The other thing that I'd add to what you said is that we need to get employees to take time off. Mm. And I know a lot of people have delayed it because they're waiting till they can go somewhere, yeah. but it is just not healthy for us to continue. And even if what they did is started having employees take um, three or four days off, you know, and you can rotate. Cause I know with a farmer's market, you're probably seven days a week. But you rotate when people go and just say, take a mini vacation mm -hmm. where you don't think about work, where you are doing whatever fills you up. And for those who say they don't want to, I, I had one large employer actually incentivize people that we will give you extra days if you start to take your vacation, mm -hmm. because we really want you to be ready if things start to ramp up in the fall we want you to be refreshed and energized. So there's there's quite a bit um, that they can do, but that celebration and that recognition of mm -hmm. how did you cope? What were, were the biggest challenges? How did you get over it? How do people support you? I think is critical. Because I think another piece from the employer perspective that concerns me about employees returning to the workplace is that, I mean, many of us, myself included, working from home for so long it required me to put in place healthy um, strategies, healthy boundaries between my personal life and work because all of it was happening in the same space. And for the first few months, I didn't do that. And then it really overwhelmed me where the same space I slept in, I worked out in, I worked in, I, it was just way too much. Like there was no division anywhere. I felt like I couldn't escape. And so I worked hard to put strategies in place. And I think it's so important for employers to have that conversation when employees return to the workplace of what strategies have really helped you during this pandemic. How do we ensure we can still incorporate those even when you return to the office so we can still prioritize people um, having the space to just take care of themselves and their well-being, like you said, because they're already going to be exhausted from all these changes. Yeah. Well, and I think building on what you've said and back to the, the question of the organization or any organization where people have continued to be there is, is asking people what they need. Mm -hmm. right? We often think, what can we do for people? But we forget to ask the people who need the thing done for them. What do you need right now? In this moment, what can help you? You must you know, I, I can appreciate it. it must have been a, a very trying time. It has been for all of us. So how can we help you through this? And I think that um, that can be a good measure too. People do want to feel heard and recognized and being recognized is one of the most critical things in the workplace. And you can do that by just simply saying, how can we help you get to the next side? Um, and I think that can be very, very helpful. We just did a resource to assess the risk factors in an organization that lead to burnout for employees. And I have to tell you, because I have burned out, 
But if you had asked me at that time, what can I do for you? I, I wouldn't have been able to answer you. And as a self-professed workaholic, I have to say that this pandemic has caused me to also create balance. And I don't think I'm going to go back mm -hmm. to pushing to ridiculous um, limits at all of the time anymore. And so employers are going to have to really be ready for their very driven, motivated, poor boundary employees to suddenly be saying, no, I'm, I'm going to give you the eight hours that I'm paid for and I'm going to do a good job, but I'm not doing more than that. And so that's going to be an adjustment for everyone as well. And to not make them feel guilty for it, to really celebrate that of like, you know what, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you are thriving and that you want that to continue. That's easy for us yeah. because we know that you're actually going to get better work out of somebody working 40 hours than somebody working 60. Mm -hmm. We know the quality of work will be better. The number of injuries or mistakes will be lower, but not all employers know that. And so they may feel like, well, you used to be more motivated. You used to be more dedicated. You used to be more committed, but now they're just maybe smarter mm -hmm. and more effective. Yeah. I'm personally curious as to how long some of this will last. Yes. Like, so we're going to come back with a lot of changes in our mind, just like we do every new year's, right? I have, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do this. And then once we get back into that grind, is it all going to fall away? And I hope it doesn't. I hope that there are some lasting lessons learned in all of this for all of us, employers, employees. Um, but I'm curious as to, as to whether just pressures of work will push us back to where we were. I'm sure there will be studies about it. <laughs> I'm sure started the research around it. But it can do some of the measures even that you've just talked about to prevent some of that. And one of them is mandating um, time off, making mm -hmm. people take their vacations. We do it. People are, I don't even offer incentives. Like you're expected to book half your vacation before the half halfway mark of the year and then the second half up to the end of it. Otherwise, especially last year, but even this year too, you're gonna have this cluster of everybody wanting to be off at the same time, but you do mm -hmm. need the time. Personally, I take off a week every quarter it's mapped out. Um, and then I try and take extra time in there, but I know that at least within a quarter, I'm going to have a break. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and that's the thing, Lauren, we know that we're going to be more effective when we do that. It is unfortunate that some employers don't understand that more effective, but also just, I mean, personally, a better person. Like yeah. I know, when I'm exhausted, when I'm stressed, when I'm overwhelmed, when I haven't taken that time, I am not myself. I'm not my best self. And that is going to affect my work. It's going to affect how I interact with other people. Um, it's, yeah, there's just so many factors to consider. And I mean, it really is so important to encourage people to just disconnect to disconnect your email, you know, even if you go on vacation, the people who are still in their emails checking it, like just cut the cord, let it go. The organization will last without you for a few days and really take that time. We have a little policy that is on um, knowing when to contact someone 
if they're on vacation. And it stems from, we used to rent a cottage when I was a kid and my father was the director of, it was called personnel at the time, but HR for the city of Sault Ste. Marie where I grew up. And we would be on vacation and every now and then something urgent would come up and they would have to phone the owners of the, the little lodge that we were at and they would have to come down the hill and go get my dad and he actually have to go back and call. And they knew they would only call if it was urgent. Now, because it's so easy to email, people just flip an email. I'm like, yeah, Lauren will probably check it and Lauren probably will. Um, but it's to help put the onus on the people reaching out that if it's important enough that you would call a resort to track that person down, then go ahead. Otherwise, mm -hmm. leave them alone. Just yeah. leave them alone. But some of that is our own personal responsibility mm -hmm. because we cannot check our emails when we're on vacation, mm -hmm. but most of us don't have that discipline. And I realized that even peeking at the emails would raise my stress level. And so I made a pact with myself that the day before I was going to return to work, I would go through them all so I didn't feel overwhelmed on the day I returned to work. But yeah, I just have to resist looking. And I say to people, you phone me if you need me, but I'm not going to look at my emails. Mm -hmm. So, but we haven't really covered one of the very big issues around returning to the workplace. And that is, will I be able to wear zip up pants that don't just stretch? Because I'm just not sure and to have shoes on. Like I have to put shoes on at work now. It's like, I don't know. So everybody's got to adjust. Yeah. I have bought so many pairs of yoga pants over these last 15 months. That was my daily uniform, yoga pants and a top of some kind. Just comfort. I think that was just it. Like, how can I be most comfortable in this situation? I bet for the first month of the pandemic, I dressed for work every day. Did you? Yeah, because oh. I just thought, you know, you don't know and you've got to be ready. And then, yeah, it wore off. And <laughs> so I dressed it, up the entire time. Now, dressing up meant something different because I would wear jeans on the bottom, but I wore a jacket every day. And part of it is because I like my clothes. Um, mm -hmm. But the other part is I just felt like my life was more normal. And so yeah. that was my my attempt at helping to feel normal, that I was a routine. I would still wear, you know, my business clothes became slightly more casual than they had been in the past, like not so much suits or whatever, but I still felt the need to do that. And that helped me feel like a normal human being, although I did wear slippers. Yeah. yeah, but to be in that mindset, right? When you're when you're doing things, it's uh, yeah. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. This conversation has just exceeded my expectations. You had answers for all of my questions, which I very much appreciate. So, thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you, and thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, everyone else, too, for sharing your time with us and supporting Conversations with Impact. 